at Exodus chapter 14. And as you're turning there, um, I would also say that if you do not have a Bible, probably in one of the seats in front of you, you can find a Bible that you can use. And I believe that Exodus 14 will be found on page 56. In my own time of reading God's word, uh, toward the end of last year, I was in the book of Exodus. And I thought to myself, this could be something that, for some reason, I kept being drawn back to Exodus 14. It was quite personal. And then when we started uh, our two-year Bible study and Bible reading at the beginning of this year, we started over uh, in Genesis, went, went to Exodus, and I read what I just read again. And now I come to Exodus 14 again. And what I found was each time I would read past it like I was going to read, but I would go back and read it again. And I, and I said to myself, there's something here that is drawing me in. And I thought to myself, really in a way, it, it wasn't a real flattering thing because what I saw was I saw individuals such as myself that were so predictable. Well, that's what I call myself. Others maybe say uh, boring. I saw somebody that was set in their ways. Others might say a stick in the mud. But I kept thinking, what is it in this passage that keeps me reminding myself, seeing myself? Hopefully, I can explain that today. Not only is it for me, but for maybe for all of us when we understand what God's people experience and what they experience in chapter 14 of Exodus. I would now like to read Exodus 14 to you, understanding that there are a couple names in here that I know that I'm not going to get right. Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and camp in front of Phihanathroth between uh, Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Shephron. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh you will see, will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Then the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel 
while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Phiharoth in front of baal Zephron. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there is no graves in Egypt that we have taken, taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may be servants in Egypt, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his chariots, his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory from Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud in the darkness, and it lifted up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them and into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horsemen, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of the fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they were drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returns to its normal course when, it, when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled, in, fled it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. 
Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The reading of God's word. See, people that I was describing, like myself, we don't like change. We we don't like to have something come about that we're not expecting. And as we see what the Israelites were going through, they were in change. They had left their bondage and had moved away. And what I'd like to see is there was four passages that, that drew me in when I was looking at this and reading uh, this chapter. And the first thing was, was so obvious to me is, is how the chapter started, and it said, Then the Lord said to Moses. And what that says is, When God speaks, we are to listen. Moses was an individual that had a calling that was not his first choice in life as a career path. He said, God, if you want me to do this, how are they going to know that this is of you, that this is your word, that I am speaking to them? And he said, tell them, I am. They will know the God that you're talking about. I will tell you what to say. And he was not alone. As we see so many times in the Bible, Jeremiah, when he's starting his book, he says, the word of the Lord came to me. Ezekiel, I saw a vision of God. Hosea, the word of the Lord came to Hosea. Paul himself was told, I am Jesus. You will be, whole, you will be told what to do. The word of the Lord is what we are to listen for and to have shape and form our life. But what we see in the first part of this scripture is it's not a real beneficial word that we're looking at because if you see what it's talking about, the first thing that Moses has to tell them is their location. My wife and I, when we were looking at this, we were getting out the maps and we were trying to figure out exactly what was going on. But what it sounds like to me is on one side, you have an ocean. You're in front of a mountain, and now you have a a wilderness that isn't to be crossed, and you have an opposing force. This is the word that we're supposed to listen to from the Lord. This is where we're supposed to be. But that's not the point. God says, just obey. He will take care of the rest. We're not thinking about whether this is a good military position or not. He is telling us to be faithful. And Moses was willing to do that. And he told the people. The next thing that came to my mind in the scripture, verse 6. So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all, over them. 
God knows all, we don't. Well, how do you get God knows all, we don't out of that? We know their position. The Israelites don't have a favorable location. And for some reason, it is that important to us to understand how well-equipped Pharaoh is. He has 600 chariots, and the rest of them are going to follow, all with horsemen in his army. From what I understand about a chariot, it's probably going to have a couple horses. It's going to have a couple warriors in it. It's probably the fastest-moving piece of equipment at the time to inflict casualties on an opponent. And he has 600 of these that he considers his best. And then comes everything else that he has in his army. And if we take it at that, we think, I don't know how I could deal with that, understanding that that's what I was up against. Well, we have to understand, unfortunately, we only deal with today. We only see what's going on. God sees much past that. It reminds me, if I can understand what a chariot would be like as a young man of about 19 being drafted and being in basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky, and watching, the, which is the home of armor, watching this huge tank go rumbling by us as we're marching. On a paved street, I could not understand why they would have a, a tank going down a paved street. As he took off, the tank had so much power that it actually lifted up the blacktop, turned a corner, dug up the blacktop some more, and went its way. We were just amazed. Our drill sergeant could see it in our face when we got in formation when we stopped. And he said, that's the power of the U.S. Army. That's what we have fighting for us. And he said, and you know what? 19-year-olds are driving those. That's why they have an automatic transmission. <laughs> he said, I wouldn't let anybody this 19 drive anything that I own. And all we could think of is, I hope Uncle Sam gives us the keys to that thing. That impressed us with the power of what mighty armor was. All that the Egyptians could, or all that, the, that Israel could see at that time, all they knew was that there was a force that they could not reckon with. But that was all they knew. God knows it all. He had only started to prepare them for the majesty that was to come. The next thing, verse 11. It is because, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? If you looked up sarcasm in the dictionary, this line should be there. 
Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? These are the people speaking to Moses. But what that said to me is, are we willing to let God be in charge? All the people knew, and maybe this is the part that really got to me when I was looking at this and had going back and reading it and reading it and reading it, is are we content to stay where we are? Are we willing to just never venture past what has been our norm and our comfort zone like they were? They knew that evidently God was on their side, but was it going to be enough to sustain them on this journey that they did not know where they were going? Evidently not. Are you willing to let God be in charge? They were willing to go back, face everything that they had done before, be worked to death, because at least there they knew some normalcy instead of trusting in God. You know, there's a lot of things in our life that we have control over. Each day, God gives us another day. And we fill that with what we choose to do. But one of those days in there that we don't know anything about is that last day, and that is when we're going to die. For some reason... When we think about death, we want to have a death that would be pleasant. After so many years, maybe we go to bed one night and just never wake up. Is is that what I want? Lord, don't make me suffer. Don't give me something that I can't handle and that takes a lot of time or whatever that might be because I don't know if we can take that or not. Well, we don't have that choice. And if you think past that, even a little bit further, there was one person that came into this world knowing specifically the days and the minutes and the hours of his life. His name was Jesus Christ, true God, true man, that was born, that came to die. He knew that day, he knew the purpose of it, and was willing to accept his, God, his Father's will to accomplish what he was brought into this life to do. He is the only one that knew when his death and what it would be for and what, we, what it would accomplish. Are we really willing to let God be in charge? And then verse 18. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. This said to me, God, show us again your glory. Reveal to us who you are. And he even says, I am going to use Pharaoh and all of his people, and I will be magnified, and you will see that I am God. They will know that I am the Lord Almighty. 
We have to understand that this is a God that does not have some ego problem. He is God. He is infinite. He is everything that we can imagine and understand and vastly more because we have only our human mind to consume who he is. He is the Alpha Omega. There is no beginning and no end. That alone we cannot even understand. But everything that there is will bring him honor and glory. It's its purpose. It's why he created it. It's because he is holy. And in this, we see in the rest of the chapter how he decides to show his glory. The position was poor for the Israelites to retreat and get away from Pharaoh and his men. There was only one way to do it. And this story has it all. It's like it's ready to be made into a movie. Oh, yeah, it was made into a movie. (laughs) And, And we'll get to that. He tells his servant to part the waters, walk through on dry land, and you will escape. Phenomenal. He will show his glory by doing that. It isn't in the act of the miracle. It's how he chose to bring glory by what's going to happen after that, that his enemies will be crushed. What for me, if I can take a little bit of a trip down memory lane, I remember seeing this movie when it came out, The Ten Commandments. Cecil B. DeMille's. I had to look it up online to see when it was made. It was made in 1956. I believe it was 1957 when I saw it. At a theater downtown Bay City called the Washington. It was probably the most elegant theater in all of Bay City. In fact, the store that was next door to it, Western Auto, or JNR, what was the name of it, Rick? Rick's dad was the manager of it. And I remember my mother and my father taking me there. So I would have been about seven years old. I knew the story. And as I'm sitting there, it got to this point. And I saw the waters part on the screen. I knew what a movie was. I knew that men made these and they photographed things happening. We had home movies. We were tortured through that on nights that we had to watch those. So I knew what a movie was. And when this happened to me and saw these these pillars of water, just as it says in here on the side, I couldn't believe it. I thought to myself, how did they make this movie and make that water do that? And I said to my father, Dad, how are they doing that? And my father said to me, he, he, he took away some of the technical terms and, and the things that I wouldn't understand. I said, Dad, how, how are they doing that? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> and when he said that to me, that cinched it. 
I was so amazed that somebody could photograph that. There was no such thing as animation through computers and all, all of those other things. And if we saw that movie today, it would probably look pretty phony compared to what's available today. But I remember sitting there at that age thinking to myself, I can't explain, my father can't explain how they can make a movie and do that. But in my heart, I know enough about God that his word said that he just blew a wind and it happened. I can understand God's ability in that, but I couldn't see man's. Why is it if we're looking for those times for God to show us our, his glory, do we have to look past what he's actually doing for us? Just this week, past week, we've seen miracles and things happen in our own midst that we should marvel at. Births of grandchildren. Births of grandchildren halfway around the world that we get uh, information on in no time at all. People having medical situations and having them taken care of. So many things in our own personal lives that show, should show us his majesty and his glory and we look past them. Why is that? Do we have to be continually reminded of his power? Yeah, evidently we do. Because when we started at the beginning and it said the Lord spoke to Moses, we wish that God spoke to us on a regular basis. Well, if he's not, we're not picking up his word and taking it in because he still wants to speak to us each and every day through his word. It's there. He can still amaze us. He amazes us in our own lives. But why aren't we then, why are we then like the Israelites at the end of this chapter if we leave the story where it is, we're all for God. He's done something great. And we've taken it in, and we're willing to praise his name. But quickly we forget. Why would that be? Because we're sinful individuals. We've been saved by grace, called out, but we still can doubt, and we still have those times when we have to go back and remember that God is God and he is the one that is in charge. God's glory is being shown to us every day. We see it and we appreciate it, but so quickly we move on from it. We forget about it and we doubt again. Folks, I believe that that's one of the reasons that God tells us to come together as brothers, sisters in Christ and to lift each other up. I might not have had the best week. Something might have happened that, came, that, that bothered me or got me past what I said before is, I want everything the same. Yesterday, today, and hopefully tomorrow is going to be a little more of the same. But maybe somebody else in our midst can proclaim to us the mercy of what God has shown us, them, this week. And we can be rejuvenated, lifted up and encouraged by it.
Or maybe we have to be that encourager this week. God says, come together. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you peace. I remember understanding that I might not be able to understand how men make a movie, but I knew that God could do it in real life. And what Jesus says about that is, have the faith of a child. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have shown us your majesty, that you have called your people out, a stiff-necked people, a rebellious people, that even in the midst of seeing your glory and your honor so quickly forget and would turn away, would choose to leave behind those that are used by you to instruct them, Lord. We pray that we continue not to be like that, that we understand that you have given all for us, Lord, and we thank you for it. We thank you that we have had the opportunity this day to gather together to give you glory and honor for being who you are, King of kings and Lord of lords. Continue to lead us in all that we do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.